Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hi everyone, it's that time of the week when with thanks to Hunt and Hunt Lawyers we bring you the governance update from VLGA Connect and I'm joined as always by Steve Cooper, the Chief of Staff at the VLGA. Hello Steve. Hello Chris, good to see you. And you, how have you recovered from your budget lockup experience earlier this week? I don't know that anyone can recover from that Chris, it was a terrific experience to be locked up for what? three or four hours and told you're not allowed to leave until the treasurer stands up in the house. Then you may go. Was it that long, really? Three to four hours? Uh, I think 10.30 to 1.30. Yeah. Okay. And then you had to arrive a little bit early to hand in your phone and have your nice cup of coffee with almond milk. And <laughs> With almond milk. And you do describe the experience and the social nature of the experience on our special edition of VLGA Connect, which people can go back and find from Wednesday, where we go into some of the budget specifics from a local government perspective. Yeah, terrific to talk with Catherine and with you, um, just to, I guess, get a few um, highlights out of the budget, Chris. All right, so we won't repeat all of that. There's still some budget reaction coming in from various councils and peak groups as they uh, analyse that, and I'll, I'll try and include some more of that in the next edition of the Local Government News Roundup. Um, we've got a guest going to join us shortly, but a couple of news items from this week that we wanted to touch on first off. And the the news in the last couple of days, Steve, that the, the former Mayor of Mornington Peninsula, Despy O'Connor, has suspended her campaign for election to federal parliament as an independent this week. Yeah, it sounds as though uh, there's a bit of concern, Chris, over the dreaded Section 44 of the Constitution, which typically comes up in relation to citizenship, but um, Despy's got a concern regarding um, her employment status, given that she's been um, on leave without pay as a school teacher um, in, a, in, mm. in the government system, um, but she might be caught by the uh, profiting from an Office of the Crown um, provision. So uh, we watch with interest as Despy goes through that. Yeah, my understanding is, is exploring uh, the legal uh, ramifications of all of that before making a, a determination on whether the campaign can continue or not at this stage. Mm. And there's a case involving uh, the well-known Phil Cleary that apparently is some sort of precedent there, Chris. So we'll watch that with interest. The other uh, bit of news uh, that came out last Friday night was the announcement of 80 uh, additions to the top 50 public sector women uh, on a roll, if you like. And a strong representation from local government, Chris, which was terrific in, uh, in both the established and emerging leader categories. Yes, we want to congratulate. Um, now, you'll know which categories these belong to. Uh, I didn't make that note, Steve. Marty oh. Cuthbert at the city of Casey. Okay, well, Marty is one of the emerging leaders. Would you like me to go through them, Chris? So, yes, please. Yes, Marty, me, yes. Marty Cuthbert from Casey. Tammy Smith, the newly appointed Chief Executive Officer at Yarri Ambiak. Um, and that award was determined before uh, Tammy had that role. Mm. Um, Blaga Nabovsky, who we know well, the uh, Executive Manager of Governance and Comms uh, at Nilambikshire, and also Stacey Williams, the Director of Community Wellbeing at Ganawarashire. So they were the emerging leaders. And in the other category? 
In the other category, we had Karen Ellis, Chief Executive at South Gippsland Shire Council. I'm going to come back to Karen in a minute. Okay, uh, well done, Karen. Helen, Helen Swee, the Chief Executive at Mooney Valley. Uh, Vicky Mason, uh, highly respected Director of Health and Wellbeing at the City of Greater Bendigo. Katrina McKenzie, General Manager, um, City Economy and Activation at the City of Melbourne. And Fiona Weagle, General Manager of Assets and Environment at East Gippsland Shire Council. And there's a bit of news at East Gippsland this week, Chris. There is. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But congratulations to those uh, very deserving uh, recipients of the Top uh, Public Sector Women Award. It's a real uh, alumni that's building now, Steve. Absolutely. And I think, Chris, there was a lot of um, really shared joy in terms of the recognition that had been provided. I think also the fact that uh, women working in rural settings were being uh, recognised for terrific work. And I don't want to detract from the seriousness at all because I think all of these were exceptionally well-deserved, but um, I think a special nod for Karen Ellis um, for the best shoes of the night. And if you don't believe me, go back and look. <laughs> I did not notice, so I'm going to have to go and find that, that photo now. Thank you for pointing that out. Oh, they are fantastic. Congratulations to all of those deserving recipients. I understand the reason there was an additional number this year was in recognition of the challenging times that uh, that everyone's been through, but that these women have showed exceptional leadership during uh, the COVID um, and post-pandemic period. Isn't that I shouldn't it, say post-pandemic because it's, it's still here, isn't it? still going, but yeah, isn't it a time where leadership comes to the fore, Chris? Absolutely. Mm. All right. Um, perhaps one other quick story before we bring our guest in. I've noticed um, because we're in the middle of a federal election campaign, this this ongoing issue of election signage keeps coming up. It's popped up in Ballarat this week, Steve. Who would have seen it happen, Chris, that there's a bit of a kerfuffle in the Ballarat Courier about the fact that uh, candidates from a particular entity have been uh, hanging their signs on uh, council assets and uh, I thought terrific response from Evan King at the Ballarat City Council, who basically said, put your signs on our assets and we'll just take them down and confiscate them, which is, um, I think, quite good. And I thought the other thing was, uh, Chris, that when the candidate was contacted, who would have thought that they said, oh, maybe my volunteers are getting a bit too enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I take that, that seriously. I haven't heard that one before. And, oh, they uh, also um, What's PowerCore got to do with it? Were they not asked for a, for a comment for some reason? Actually, I don't recall the detail, Chris, but I know there is a, con a particular concern about people hanging signs off power poles, which is, of course, the issue for the poles and wires company, not so much for the council. Um, and there's some great concern that people shouldn't be putting their signs on power poles, because if they nail or screw the signs onto timber poles, that that over time will infect, affect the integrity of the pole. And the power companies get very excited about that because of the public risk. I thought you just wanted an opportunity to say that PowerCore said there had been a surge oh, uh, in signage. <laughs> I did. But I thanks for that. That's a very relevant. I, I missed that completely. <laughs> but actually reading reading the uh, the article, I thought the fact that PowerCore said that in their quote was just terrific work. <laughs> it's, you'd forgotten already, hadn't you? All right. So much happening, Chris. Now, um, uh, council CEOs uh, will have received uh, an email in uh, recent days uh, pointing to a survey that uh, IBAC is looking for local government staff 
to complete about perceptions of corruption in the public sector, not just in local government, but more broadly. But obviously, you need local government people to provide perspective from local government. And we have a guest joining us to talk more about that now. Dr. Karen Adams is the Principal Project Officer for Corruption Prevention at IBAC and joins us now. Hello, Karen. Hi, Chris. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for joining us. Now, I know you and Steve have had some conversations about this piece of research that you're doing, and I, I reckon Steve's got about 20 questions for you. Steve. I know it's not a 20-question quiz, Chris, but thanks for that. And Karen, good to see you today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the background to this survey that's been circulated to councils this week? Sure. Uh, so this is a research project that IBAC's undertaking as part of our corruption prevention strategy. Uh, so it's a project where we're looking at the perceptions of corruption and police misconduct in Victoria. So as part of that, we're undertaking an online survey with local government, as well as a number of other stakeholder groups. So that includes state government employees, uh, members of Victoria Police, uh, members of the Victorian community, as well as business suppliers who intersect with uh, the Victorian public sector. So uh, this, the, really the, the purpose of the surveys is to help explore perceptions of corruption and police misconduct across the state. Um, we'll be undertaking a range or asking a range of different questions on topics like understanding of corruption and misconduct, uh, perceptions around the prevalence of different forms of corruption and misconduct in the workplace, um, perceptions about IBAC as well and, and understanding and awareness of us as an agency. Uh, and also another really important part of the survey is looking at um, attitudes and perceived barriers to reporting corruption and misconduct. Uh, so this is a survey that we've done in the past, um, most recently in 2019 with local government. Um, but one of the key differences this time around is we've opened the survey up to include all Victorian councils. Um, so we're really keen to get a really good participation rate across all Victorian councils over the next month. That's terrific. Karen, um, now I understand emails have gone out to, is it the CEOs and who who are you hoping to have complete those surveys? Yeah, that's right, Steve. So we've sent correspondence to all council CEOs uh, about the project and with a link to the survey for them to promote to their staff. Um, so uh, hopefully communication has come out from councils or communication teams within each um local government area. If you've not received that, I'd really encourage you to follow up with your council's CEO office about that, or you can contact myself um, or I back about that. Um, the, count, uh, the survey is uh, focused on local government employees. So we're really hoping to get a, a good mix of staff from you know, the depot, community services, um, people working in areas of planning or corporate services, it's not open to council laws. Um, we'll be looking to, to do a separate project with council laws in the future, um, but it is open to any, any uh, employee working in local government across Victoria, um, okay. whether that, also whether that be metro or regional areas, areas as well. So all employees right across the council. Um, people will ask, Karen, um, can we talk about the anonymity uh, provisions in this survey? Absolutely. So this is a really important um, question, I'm, and I'm glad you've, you've asked this one. So... Um, Firstly, the survey is completely voluntary uh, and it is anonymous. So we won't be asking for any personal identifying information from participants, no names. We also don't ask what council you work for. Um, so there's no way of us linking um, the findings or the, uh, the, the data that's reported by an individual back to an individual person or back to an individual council. So it is anonymous um, and uh, 
yeah, people can have confidence around providing that data to us. Presumably that's an online survey, Karen. How long would you expect it would take um, the average completer to complete? That's right. It is an online survey. Um, we anticipate it would take around 10 minutes or so to complete. Okay, terrific. Now, you talked before about um, sort of the composition of the survey. How would you envisage uh, the outcomes would be used both internally and, and indeed published externally? Uh, yes. Yeah, so as I said, the, the surveys is part of our corruption prevention project. For it, So for a big part of it for us is about um, raising awareness about what people perceive to be the, the issues um, across local government and different sectors when it comes to corruption and, and misconduct. Um, we will be uh, publishing uh, sector-specific reports on the findings in the second half of this year. So that will include a specific report on local government. Um, we're also planning to get out and about um, in the second half of this year to talk about the findings from the survey and really to talk through what that means around opportunities uh, to strengthen integrity initiatives within agencies and ultimately to build that corruption resistance. So we'd welcome any opportunities or interest from different councils um, for a member of IBAC to come and talk about those findings uh, later this year uh, or even to come back and have a chat with you both um, about those findings uh, in a few months' time. Can I just jump in with a quick, quick follow-up question? You mentioned a few areas of council that you were hoping would uh, participate. Were there any areas, uh, particular areas, underrepresented in previous surveys that you're hoping to hear more from this time around? Um, generally, uh, we've... We've had a, a pretty good mix um, of, of staff across different different areas. I think really the key um, change or difference with this survey is that we'll get a, or we're hoping to get a really good mix from across a number of different councils because we've opened it up to all Victorian councils. So perhaps in the past, we haven't had as much of a nuanced picture about the differences between metropolitan versus regional or rural areas. Whereas this time, because we'll have the survey open to all councils, we're hoping to have a really um, good response size, um, sample size that we can drill down and unpack some of those differences in a, in a bit more detail. Um, probably one of the other differences that, you know, with some of the questions that we'll be asking, we'll be able to look at differences by uh, length of service within the public sector, as well as whether people are working in managerial positions so that will, again, sort of help to build out that picture around differences in, in perception. So, again, trying to encourage everyone right across councils to participate so we can look at some of those differences um, over time as well as within different cohorts. The more, the better. Um, Chris, I just have one more um, question for Karen, and that's um, what's the deadline for completion, Karen? Uh, the survey opened yesterday and it will close on the 26th of May. Thank you, Karen. Uh, we look forward to hearing more about the results. And uh, as there's an invitation for you or uh, someone from IBAC, of course, to come back on the program once you have some, um, some findings to talk about. That'd be terrific. We'd really love to come back and have a chat with you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Steve. Great to have Karen joining us. Good interview, Steve. IBAC. Uh, in the news, of course, we're waiting on Operation Sandon, but they've got another uh, matter on foot at the moment that's been taking some of your attention. Oh, well, Chris, um, as you know, we do like to listen in on these public inquiries when they're going on. And there's one happening at the moment called Operation Redbow, which is about um, some alleged police misconduct. Um, and I've been listening. I, I think a couple of things are that someone at IBAC has a dog that barks occasionally, and that just adds a bit more to it. But more importantly, and the... The investigation or the review um, will take its course, but already some themes are emerging around, um, I guess, diligent inquiry and not being willfully blind to things that you should know about and just going on that defence of 
well, I didn't know because I didn't ask. Uh, that's a bit of a concern. And also the blurring of um, personal business with um, with your official business. And it's always really difficult. I can't, I'm not saying it can't be done, but extraordinarily fraught for someone in, in a public office working for a council for the police force. Um, they'd be really careful if you're running your own entity. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, uh, there's a ICAC inquiry going on in Sydney, Operation Tolosa. I haven't had a chance to look at any of that this week, but uh, that's still making news headlines. Um, and of course, integrity generally has been an election issue in terms of whether there should be one at the federal level. So it's very topical, Steve. It is indeed. I think, Chris, it's not an interesting one. And you know, we don't get political, but I would just make the point along the way through that um, issues of integrity that are um, investigated by integrity officers aren't necessarily criminal behaviour. And we should be really careful about the threshold that we, uh, that we aspire to. Very true. Oh, wise words, as mm. always. Now, um, councillors behaving badly is becoming a topic uh, at the moment. And one that's caught the attention nationwide is the town of Cambridge. Steve, did you see this? The Zoom meeting where the councillor got upset because a late item was introduced and hadn't had time to consider it, uh, and then literally started banging the desk, refused to turn his microphone off, started flicking his lights on and off. It was it, it was a it was a very childish temper tantrum, basically. It was, it was a throwback to the organisation formerly known as the Handforce Parish <laughs> Council and um, and and Jackie Weaver. But yeah, the mayor really uh, struggled to. Um, bring the, the councillor into water and it, it yeah it had all the hallmarks of a tantrum Chris as you say it did and you know one of those things that brings local government into focus that uh, we could we could sort of do without I call them own goals uh, that council's had two councillors resign this year the the most recent one made the statement that it was because of a disappointment in the leadership of of the council we don't know all the facts of course but those are uh, the events that have occurred. Um, closer to home, uh, Frankston Council has been in the news around councillor behaviour. My understanding of this one, Steve, is that there was a recent council meeting that got a bit heated with one of the issues that were being uh, discussed. The, uh, the mayor asked or reminded councillors of their responsibility to behave appropriately, followed that up, as I understand, with a memo. And then one of the councillors has used that memo uh, to, uh, to to launch a social media um, tirade back against the mayor. Chris, we don't know all of the details, but what we do know is that it is the responsibility of the mayor to ensure that the council is a you know functioning group. <coughs> um, and that by, might be by one-on-one -on -one intervention or it might be by sending out a, a missive to all of the councillors reminding them about the appropriate standards of behaviour. So I think it is problematic if someone is critical of the mayor when the mayor is being the mayor. And it's one of those things where um, people have been critical of mayors for not showing enough leadership in terms of managing the behaviour and it is a requirement under the Act that the Mayor provides that guidance for other councillors in terms of uh, behaving in accordance with the standards of conduct that are expected. Well as we've talked about before Chris and for mine it goes back to for example the report that Peter Stevenson did in relation to Wangaratta Council years ago which was quite critical of the Mayor of the day and as a consequence of that the um, the uh, the act has been, or the various acts, the 89 Act and the 2020 Act have really been strengthened to remind mayors of that responsibility. And we've talked before about how being the mayor isn't a role just for anyone, that mayors need to be able to, you know, 
step up and be effective um, in regard to the conduct of the group and a good yeah. culture. Uh, just in passing, there's an interesting one that's been uh, playing out in South Australia at the District Council of Grant, Steve. I'm not sure if you saw this. Um, this one boggles my mind. We've got, I, I think, a directly elected mayor, uh, has been elected mayor before, has now been the subject of two no-confidence motions and an ombudsman's report that found this mayor had failed to disclose a conflict of interest. But the thing that really does my head in is last November or December, uh, the council passed a no confidence motion and has banned that mayor from speaking on behalf of the council, meeting with government ministers, attending official events in the formal capacity of the mayor of the council right through until November when the term expires. Um, how is that a workable situation, I ask? Not really sure, Chris. And, and a reminder too that, and we did check during the week that in South Australia, they do have directly elected mayors. So when you've got a, a mayor elected by popular vote who doesn't have the confidence of the council group, that's a pretty fraught situation. It is, yes. I wouldn't like to be part of the uh, the executive team having to, to, to manage the fallout no. from all of that. No. Uh, High Court in uh, Tasmania. Tell me what's happened here, Steve. I haven't read this, but I know it's one that caught your eye. Well, um, for a quite obscure reason, Chris, there's a matter, and I should actually say our good friends at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers would probably be better at explaining the circumstance here than me, but um, but I'll just have a go at it and, um, and uh, people can make of it what they will. Um, if you know Hobart and walk up the hill up Murray Street from the ferry where you pick up the ferry, uh, sorry, from where you pick up the ferry out to Mona, past the Customs House Hotel, on the left is the Parliament Building and there's been a new extension to that you know, glass in the sort of shape of a ship's bow, quite impressive, but a, a rather steep hill. The developer contracted to... Um, make that building or to build the building, if you like, uh, will be the name will be familiar to some. Sitter Corporation. Uh, they, in fact, were the proposed developers of the infamous St Kilda Triangle project. Um, there's the local government link. Yeah. <laughs> Mr Cawthorn is um, a disabled um, gentleman, and his concern with the development is that if you are trying to access the building from the lower level, um, in fact, you can't that in fact, you've got to make your way up the hill to access um, the lifts in the building and went off to the anti-discrimination tribunal um, and got a ruling that in fact, um, it was contrary to, um, you know, the federal anti-discrimination legislation. That matter went off to the Supreme Court of Tasmania, which upheld the decision. And guess what, Chris? What, Steve? It found its way to the High Court of Australia. Yes. And, and here's the thing. The High Court actually came back and said, no, they didn't agree with the decision of the Anti-Discrimination um, Commission or the Supreme Court of Tasmania and found in favour of CITA, the developers. Oh. So we are left with a situation where the disabled person uh, would have to go up the very steep hill um, to access the building. And so I, I just thought it was sort of a, a cautionary tale where... Ultimately, the legal um, finding isn't in, in necessarily the public interest, but is, you know, as things go, is the right legal answer. And maybe if we just do good design in the first place, we don't find ourselves in that situation. Yep, good point. All right, uh, thank you for that. We'll pop links to, the, to, to that and those other stories into the show notes. 
couple of uh, CEO movement uh, announcements uh, this week. Well, one of them is uh, a CEO going nowhere, and that is uh, Anthony Basford at East Gippsland Shire has been uh, reappointed on a new five-year contract, which is good to see. Oh, absolutely. And they're doing some terrific work down at East Gippsland. Um, so congratulations to Anthony, to Mayor Councillor Mark Reeves and the Councillor Group. Um, you're obviously making good progress and, and may that continue. So terrific. And the other one, slightly different uh, flavour here, the uh, Campaspe Shire Council has announced this week that it has agreed to an early separation with its Chief Executive Officer, that's Declan Moore. Um, so uh, his contract, I believe, was uh, coming up next year and he'd indicated that he would not be seeking a second contract. So the council and he have agreed to separate early to allow uh, that process of finding a new CEO to commence uh, sooner rather than later. So all the best to, to Declan. I don't know Declan. I don't think I've uh, met Declan uh, before, but all the best to the Campaspe Council as well. Absolutely, Chris, and nor me, but a, a, you know, a lovely, well-crafted uh, note from the councillors with commentary from Declan uh, you know, announcing that decision. All right. Um, anything else from you this week, Steve? No, not at all, Chris. I think we've, uh, we've done a, a, a tour around the governance world for this week. We sure have. So uh, thank you. Thank you to our listeners and viewers for continuing to support the governance update. And thank you to Hunt and Hunt Lawyers for continuing to be our uh, sponsor. It's probably nearly time we had them back to talk about some point of legal contention. I'm sure there's something waiting in the wings. <laughs> Well, we don't want us to continue to comment on that sort of thing, Chris. <laughs> Quite right. Thanks, Steve. See you next week. That's the governance update from VLGA Connect. Thanks for watching and listening, and bye for now.